great name, Jesus. Amen. Well, for the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at the practices of the church, or what does the church do? What are some of the most foundational uh, things that the church is to practice together? And we've seen so far that the church baptizes believers in Christ. Uh, We've seen that the church participates in the Lord's Supper. And this week, we're going to talk about membership. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about membership, one of the first things that comes to my mind is Costco. Costco Wholesale. And uh, up until about a year ago, I'd never shopped at Costco, but because I now have five kids who seem to be hungry 24 hours a day, and because everything at Costco is uh, in large quantities and discounted prices, I'm now in a very committed relationship uh, with Costco. So (laughs) my wife and I, we love the bulk prices, and my kids love the free samples that are always there (laughs) when, when we go. But the reason that I'd never gone to Costco in the past is that it's for members only. In fact, if you've been there, you know they have an employee whose only job it is to stand at the entrance and make sure that everyone who walks in has what? They have to have the membership card. You can only shop there if if you're a card-carrying member, and that's typically how we view membership. It's Costco, it's country clubs, it's political parties, even the library. In most of your minds, that's what membership is. And when you bring that concept of membership to the Bible and look for it, you're not going to find it anywhere because you're looking for the wrong thing. Now, that doesn't mean that membership isn't there. If you look at Scripture carefully, we can observe the church practicing a different but just as real form of membership. That's my goal this morning, is to help you see the importance of um, biblical membership and the vital role that it plays in a healthy church. And to do that, we're going to try and answer three questions. We're going to look at why church membership why formal church membership, and what is our church membership process? If you're taking notes, those questions are why church membership, why formal church membership, and what is our church membership process? For our first main point, there are many reasons and benefits to support church membership, but let me give you one of the most important. Church membership helps believers to live consistently with your identity in Christ. Church membership helps believers to live consistently with your new identity in Christ. When you became a Christian, in one sense, nothing changed for you. In another sense, everything changed. When you become a Christian, you don't suddenly have a shiny halo or sprout angel wings. You know, if you want wings, you're going to have to try Red Bull. Like That's not, not part of the Christian package in, in this life. You don't all of a sudden just drop 30 pounds and drop 30 pounds and have a ripped six-pack and look like a model, unfortunately. And if you had a difficult job or life circumstances before you came to Christ, those don't automatically go away. Those don't automatically resolve. And so in one sense, nothing changes physically when you become a Christian. But at the same time, it's not an exaggeration to say that every, everything changes. And that's because your relationship with God changes. Your fundamental internal identity completely changes. And this change is so radical, Jesus says in John 3, that those who believe in him are born again. You can't even enter the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says that that if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. The change is so radical, you're a new creation. That's because you're indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, 
You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. God, God himself comes into you and begins to, to change you from the inside. And all this is possible because believers are forgiven of all of their sins. And because we're forgiven, we can be adopted into God's family in Christ and become children of God. All of this is true and so much more when you become a Christian. But let me share another aspect of your new identity in Christ that's often overlooked. At the moment you became a Christian, you became a member of the body of Christ. The moment a person trusts in Christ, that person becomes a member of Christ's body, the church. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. If you jump ahead to verse 27, he says the same thing. Now, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. He says a similar thing in Ephesians 4. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. So when you became a Christian, what became true about you? Well, you became a member of the body of Christ. You became a member of the church. Now, God in his brilliance, with membership in his body, what does not happen is that you lose all of your individuality. That's not eliminated when you become a Christian, but actually it's more fully expressed in community with other believers. You see, God, he doesn't want cookie-cutter Christians. He doesn't want everyone to, t- to look and talk and behave in exactly the same way and just be copies of the people around you. God wants Christians to be united, but he wants them to be united in their love for him and their love for for one another and to express the unique ways that he has made you within the church. Both Peter and Paul, they speak to this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, as you come to him, a living stone, referring to Christ, when you come to him, a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves, talking about Christians, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this picture for a moment. I just got back yesterday from vacation in Table Rock Lake, and we were just a couple of minutes away from the beach. And at the beach, there were rocks everywhere. It was completely covered with rocks of all different sizes and, and all different shapes. And, and when we got there, it looked similar to this all over the place and totally random. It looked like no particular order. You know, it looked like no one, no one had maybe been there for a long time. But we went almost every day, and pretty soon, that started to change. And it started to change because one of my little sons, he wanted to build houses for the crawdad that we saw the first day there. And so along the shoreline, there's all these little, little tiny houses, not, not all that impressive, but little houses stacked together, not very sophisticated for the crawdads. And so when you came, you get to the beach, it's pretty clear. Like, someone has organized these rocks. There's, there's a mind behind this, organizing these things. And that's a reminder that simple stones, they've been used throughout history to, to build some of the most impressive things that human beings have ever achieved. You think about the pyramids. You think about the great cathedrals and great castles that were, that were built in the middle, middle Ages. See, stones, when they're put together, when they're fit together in a certain way, they can become something so much more impressive 
so much more glorious and, and useful than anything an individual rock could be by itself. And I, I want to show you a, another photo here. This is one of my favorite illustrations. This is a real chapel that was built in Venezuela, 14,000 feet up in the Andes Mountains. And what's incredible about this church is that it was built without cement or any type of mortar. But instead it was built painstakingly by carefully handpicking the perfect spot to fit together each of the stones with those around it. So they'd have scaffolding, but they would put all the rocks in just the right place. Now imagine what would happen if one of the rocks, you know, is sentient and thought to itself, I don't really like the spot here <laughs> in this building. I don't really like the rocks and stones around me. I'm, I'm just going to move. I'm going to take myself out of this wall. And what would happen? That, 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 would, that would obviously set back the construction quite a bit. I think that's what, that's what Peter, I think he, that's what he wants us to, to think about in terms of our involvement in the church and our relationship in it. See, he wants us to grasp the significance of the church and embrace the unique and hand-picked role that God has for each of us, each of us in it. If it's hard for you to imagine God hand-picking you for anything, look how clearly Paul makes the same point, this time switching back to the, to the metaphor of the body. 1 Corinthians 12 but as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. When you became a, a Christian, you became a member of Christ's body with your own unique identity and your own unique role to play in it. And God is the one who sovereignly places believers as he sees fit. This is a glorious reality that people from different backgrounds and social classes and ethnicities, men and women, rich and poor, young and old, they're all united together as members of the body of Christ. If you're a Christian then, you need to see that not only are you forgiven, not only are you born again in a new creation in a temple, a temple of God, you are those things, but you're also a member of Christ's body. So why church membership? It's to help you live consistently with your identity in Christ. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, yes, I know I'm a, a member of the church, but I'm part of the, the big C universal church. And if you're a Christian, that's true. You are. That, that is 100% true, and that is 100% amazing that you're part of the universal church of Christ. That's something to meditate on. That's something with wonderful, wonderful benefits to celebrate. But do you want to know what, what else is also 100% true? Nobody attends that church. Nobody attends the universal church. The Bible is very clear about where people gathered for church. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, Paul says to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, call the saints with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both their Lord and ours. So Paul here, he gives a shout out to the universal church. But where did the Corinthian church meet? It met at Corinth, at a local church. We see the same thing in 1 Thessalonians. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you read through the New Testament, the same is true for the church in Rome and in Galatia 
all the seven individual local churches addressed in Revelations 2 through 3, believers in the New Testament, they gathered in local churches to worship. And this, this makes perfect sense. See, the, the universal and invisible church, it's seen visibly and physically in the gathering of local churches. Local churches are local bodies of believers, which is how the body of Christ is primarily expressed. It's not the only way that it's expressed, but it's the primary way that the body of Christ is expressed. So God has designed it so that those whom he has saved, they gather as members of local churches now in preparation for the day when all believers, when the universal church does worship in one place, when all believers throughout history worship Christ around his throne. That day will happen. But until then, believers gather locally. Local churches are where members of Christ's body exercise their new identity. And it's where they live out their membership to the body of Christ. And once you recognize that membership is part of your identity, when you see that, when you see that it's expressed through the local church, then you see it everywhere in the New Testament. It's all over the place. Now, I would imagine that, that most of you here would agree with that assessment. But a, a common question that comes up with this topic is why is formal church membership needed? Why is formal church membership helpful? And that is a really good question. That's a really good question that I, I remember wrestling with myself as a young pastor. And this brings us to our second main point. Why formal church membership? I want to give you two of the reasons that have been most helpful for me. And the first is that, and the first is, as pastors, we love you guys. Those of you who are part of the church, we love you and, and we want you to enjoy your new identity. You know, we, we desire our church to, to live out who Christ has made us to be. And we, we don't want to just love the church, the idea of it. We want to love you as people. We want to love the members of our church well and to see each of us growing in our joy in the Lord and in our walk with Christ. And since we are members of Christ's body, since that's our identity, part of our identity as believers, we think that formal membership, that can help us as a church to express that reality better. Now, if you're looking for a verse in the Bible that commands formal church membership, I'll be the first to admit you're not going to find it. You're not going to find that, that verse in the Bible. So this isn't prescribed in Scripture. But at the same time, I want you to do a thought experiment with me. And the thought experiment is how did the early church know who were the members? It seems like there was great clarity as you work through Acts. You, you work through the New Testament. The church knew who the members were. So where did that clarity come from? Well, I think Acts 2 gives us one of the, the best indications. It says that those who repented and accepted the gospel message, they were baptized, and then they were added to the church. So they, they, accepted the, they accepted the gospel, but after baptism, that seems to be the door where they were welcomed in to the church. And that's because baptism in the early church, it was a dramatic event. It was dramatic both for the Jews and for the Gentiles as the gospel spread. See, for Jews... They didn't practice baptism. Baptism was reserved for non-Jews who converted to Judaism in the Old Testament. So it was this picture of washing off kind of your, your filth and then com coming into the covenant 
community. That's how baptism was perceived. And so it was a radical thing when John the Baptist came preaching a baptism of repentance because the Jews, they had to acknowledge, I'm no better before God than a Gentile, than someone who doesn't have the law of God. It was incredibly humbling. And then when you get to Jesus, you get to the church age. Baptism identified with Christ, identified with the one who was crucified in Jerusalem by the religious establishment. And so if you got baptized and identified with Christ, you'd get kicked out of the synagogue. That was the center of of social life in the community. Often you'd lose family members. And so baptism often would lead to persecution. And for Gentiles, it was similar. See, if someone got baptized in the Roman Empire, it was uh, an identification with Christ. And Christianity quickly became known as a religion that wouldn't worship Caesar. The Roman Empire didn't care what God you worshipped as long as you acknowledged Caesar. And Christians couldn't do that. Christians couldn't worship Christ and other gods. And this was one of the reasons why Christianity quickly became persecuted. And so is the same high cost that was attached to baptism then attached to baptism in our culture? No. Maybe, Maybe more so than 20 years ago. 30 years ago, but there are still many benefits, many places to being a part of a local church, even if you're not interested in following Christ, in terms of friendships and relational support, in terms of, of networking. That's how many, many people value the church. And so there's a difference in, in terms of the, the cost of initially identifying with Christ in baptism. There's a few other important difference, differences as well. Let's imagine someone in Corinth, you know, in the early church, they become a Christian. How many church options do they have? Do they have hundreds of options like there are in our city? You know, some really good, some not good. <laughs> do they have hundreds of options? No, they have one option. They have the church in Corinth. If you wanted to follow Christ, that was where you were going to do it. You, you didn't have any other options, which also means that people's understanding of what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to be a member of of the body of Christ, it was formed by the church that they were a part of. That's different than in our culture. Almost everyone who walks in to the door here, almost everyone has experiences with other churches. Everyone has ideas about Christ in our society, ideas about who Jesus was, ideas about what it means to be a Christian. Everyone has different ideas in terms of expectations for what, what should church be like. And some of those are good expectations, many of them are not helpful. And so the, the context is very, very different than in the early church. I think this leads then to the next benefit of formal church discipline. It brings clarity to relationships. It brings clarity to relationships. Or in other words, it helps to DTR. Do you guys know, do you guys know that expression? DTR? It's the uncomfortable talk that no one wants to have about their dating status. This could be people who are talking, are we dating? Are we a thing? Are we not a thing? Those who start to date, we need to DTR. Where's this going? Where's this heading? It's about understanding what's the nature of this relationship. What are your expectations for this relationship? What are, what are mine? And the, the clarity of, of a formal process, I think it comes on at least three fronts. First, it brings clarity for people to pastors, for the people of the church with their 
pastors. We see this in, in 1 Peter chapter 5. In verse 1, Peter's addressing the, the pastors and leaders of the church. And he says, in, starting in verse 2, Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen, out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God expects all believers to be under spiritual leadership. Now this word, submit, when it's used in a non-military context like this passage in 1 Peter, it means a voluntary submission. That's really important. Don't miss that. What that means is that submission cannot be forced from the top down by coercion. That's never the way God wants it to operate in the church. Instead, it has to be given from the bottom up willingly because a believer wants to be under Jesus' authority expressed through the local church. One of the implications of that for me, which makes it easy to, to talk on these passages, is none of you have to be in this church. None of, none of you have to be under the authority of Christ as expressed in this local church. But at the same time, if you're a Christian, that has to happen somewhere. You don't have to do it here, but you do have to do it somewhere. You have to be submitted under the gospel preaching authority of a local church. And the reason for that is your blessing. See, authority, it can be abused. And when it, when it is, it can do terrible things. And that can happen even in the church. But when authority is, is exercised the way that God intended, within the limits that God defines in his word, it can be such a tremendous blessing. And one of the examples of that is parenting. Now, God wants parents to be an authority, a loving authority over their kids, not to boss them around, not to treat them as slaves, but to love them and nurture them, to help, un- help them understand who God is and how to follow him. And one of the biggest human blessings in this life is if you have parents who love Christ and love you and try and point you to him. I, I experienced the benefits of that growing up. In a similar way, and when you have a, a church with pastors who love Christ, and they love not just the concept of the church, but they love actual people in the church, that can unleash such blessing such tremendous blessing. And I have been the beneficiary of that growing up. And so God's heart for these commands, it's for the spiritual well-being of believers. And so a question for you to, to ask yourself is, do you have spiritual leaders? Do you have anyone that you are, are submitted to and a body of believers that you are submitted to? You know, if, if you are Christian, and you say, yes, yes, I, I do have that. A follow-up question for you would be, does the pastor know it? If you have a pastor, does he know that he's your pastor? If you have a, a church body that you say, I'm a member of this church body, do they, do they view you as a member? You see, formal church membership, it helps define this relationship. It gives believers in our church a very tangible way to embrace and obey these important biblical commands regarding submitting to authority. Now this brings us to the second relational category. That is pastors to people. Pastors to people. Look again at 1 Peter chapter 5. And Peter's uh, commands to Christian pastors. 
He says, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So pastors are to, to shepherd the church. And one of the primary ways this passage says to do that is through their example. It's by the example of their lives. And by the, the grace of God, Shriner and I, Pastor Shriner, we want to be the best examples that we can be of following Christ for the church. Now, we're very imperfect examples, to be sure. And all of you who know us, you, you know that very well. But our goal is to keep growing. We want to keep becoming more and more like Christ and shepherd the church the way that he desires. But that brings us to a, a big question. Now, who are pastors supposed to shepherd? Like, who are they supposed to be an example to? And Peter says the primary place is to those among you, or he says to those entrusted to you. Have you ever caught that phrase before? Pastors, it says that there's people that are entrusted to you. So who's the flock among us here at Walnut Creek South? Like who's been entrusted to us as pastors? The older I get, the weightier this feels. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Shrine and I, we're going to have to give an account for how we lead those who are entrusted to us. So how do we know who that is? There are many great churches in Des Moines. There are many wonderful Christians. Which ones will we give an account for? Is it people who come once a year? At least once a month? Is it it anyone who comes and and wants us to help shepherd their life spiritually, even if they never never communicate that to us? Should we just assume that every person who comes, even for the first time, like they want, I, I should act like their pastor? These questions, I think in our culture, they can be tricky to, to answer clearly. And that's one of the benefits of formal church membership. Membership at, at Walnut Creek, it's designed to provide clarity to who belongs to this body of believers. What are the people as pastors that we are primarily responsible for overseeing and shepherding? And so again, it, it can help DTR. It can help define the relationship. One other important relational category that we need to mention is that it also helps define the relationship between people to people within the church. Formal membership, it clarifies what other believers are are in your local church body. Now, who are you uniquely responsible to love and support and build up spiritually? And who can you expect to labor in the gospel alongside of you and to support you? Now, this is important because in all healthy relationships, there's benefits and there's boundaries. Healthy relationships have benefits and they also have boundaries. So there's all kinds of blessings that God wants us to experience in the church, but those, experience, those blessings come as we submit to the boundaries that are given to us in Scripture. The directions given for how the church should function and how, should, how we should love one another and relate to one another within the church. And what can happen in the church, and many of you have experienced this, is that your desire is to glorify God. You're just excited to be used by God in any way that you can be. And other people can get involved in the church and they are so excited about the church. And you can assume you're excited for the same reason I'm excited. But then over time, it becomes clear, oh, you're not, you're actually not very, you you don't really care what the Bible says. You like this church, maybe at least temporarily, but you're not really serious about taking God's commands at his word. And so 
membership, a formal process, it can help provide some clarity in terms of who, who wants to follow Christ here and who wants to, to embrace what the Bible says about how the church should operate. Again, this, this can give clarity to the relationship, clarity about who, who to, to love and, and who God has given us unique, really unique priorities in relationships. Again, in the early church, this seemed to happen primarily organically. And so, is formal membership, is that mandated in the scriptures? No. No, it's not. But I do believe it can be a helpful tool in our cultural context to give clarity and consistency. Clarity to, to who is a member of this church, who wants to follow Christ here, and clarity in terms of what to expect, what, what should that look like? Now, this leads us to the final question this morning. What is our church membership process? What's the church membership process? And there are four basic components. First, there are membership classes. So we have classes a few times a year for those who are interested in becoming members. And these classes, they, there's no pressure for those who take them to become members, but anyone who wants to become a member, they need to start there. That's the first step. These classes, they give an opportunity to, to work through the gospel in depth and for us to get to know people uh, who are interested in learning more about the church and for them to get to know the pastors better. It gives a, a venue for people to ask questions about Christianity and the gospel and about membership here. And so the first place to start for those who are interested is the membership classes. And those who complete the class, and if they're still interested in becoming a member, the next step is to set up a member interview. And so we get together uh, with those who are interested, one of us as pastors. And this is an opportunity and an even more focused way to get to know the people in the church and, and for them to get to know us. And so what we do during the time is we just ask people how they came to know Christ. We ask people, what, what's their understanding of the gospel? And for me, this is one of my favorite parts in the membership process because I get to hear how God has worked uniquely in so many different people's lives. And, and some people I've, I've met with who I've known for years, and almost every time, even in those situations, I, I find out unique things about what God has done in their life. I get to know them on a, on a deeper level. And so we have an a interview that we set up, and uh, the goal during this time is just to, to get to know them, to make sure that there's a, a clear understanding of the gospel, and to make sure that, that people, they understand the membership covenant. That's the third structure that we have in place. And this is something that we go through in depth in our membership classes. And the membership covenant is just seven points that outline some very basic commands from Scripture for believers and expectations for how believers are to live. Anyone who wants to become a member, we ask them to go through that and just talk through, is, is this what you desire to do with your life? Is, this, is there fruit of this in your life already? Now at this point, I need to call time out. I need to call a quick timeout and address two things. The first is who is membership for? And the reason I say that is because this talk of classes, talk of an interview, covenant, this can sound very, very performance heavy, right? Like it can give the impression that, well, membership is for those who perfectly keep the rules. And if you don't keep all the rules, then you're, then you're out. Like you're, not, you're not good enough to be a member. And that's not the heart at all. Who is membership for? was for Christians. And Christians, by definition, are people who realize, I haven't kept the commands. 
I haven't obeyed the rules and I can't be good enough on my own to do it. I can't be. See, the only way that you can spiritually be added to the body of Christ is that the physical body of Christ had to actually be crucified for you. The only way that we could be united with Christ, to be born again, to be forgiven, to experience all of the, the benefits of the new identity that we have in, as Christians, it's only because instead of punishing us for our sin, instead of separating us from him, Jesus took our place on the cross. And he did that to bring us closer to him than we can fully comprehend in this life. And so membership is not ultimately about our performance. The real heartbeat of membership is to understand, do people know the gospel? We don't want people to attend the church for years and to assume that they're right with God when they think that they're going to get in heaven because they come to church here once a week. We want people to understand the gospel and we want there to be clarity in terms of fruit towards living out the gospel together. And so that's who membership is for. Now, the second thing I want to clarify is that our membership covenant is very different than a marriage covenant. See, joining the church, it's not like marriage. It's not inherently till death do us part. Now, if you become a member and you want to stick around till you die, uh, we're not going to kick you out, but that's not often how it plays out. See, God often leads people into local churches for a season and equips them and prepares them for something else. And so becoming a member of our church, it's not signing your life away. It's not signing in blood. It's saying, I believe this is where God wants me to, to live out the, the identity that he's called all believers to in his word. I believe that's where he wants me to do it now. And while I'm here, then this is where I want to be. And I, I agree, this is, this is what the Bible teaches, and I'm all in. To ser serve here and to labor here as God leads me, as God gives opportunity. Now all that then leads to our, our fourth component of our membership structure, and that's just our member meetings. In our member meetings, we usually have three of those a year. And they're times to gather as a, as a body and enjoy one another. They're times to eat together, to have fun, to have a family meal, but also then to talk about what's going on in the life of the church and to receive new members. And if there ever is a situation where church discipline would be necessary, fortunately we haven't had to, to deal with that here on the south side, but if, if there was a situation where there's a member who is living in an unrepentant sin, rejecting rejecting uh, the uh, commands of Scripture, then the time to address it would be in that setting. So that's our, our membership process. So just to, to close, what should we do with this message? How do, we, how do we apply this message? Well, many of you are already members, and you're already sold, sold out and excited. Really, really amazing blessings to the people here, including myself. And so what should you do? Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> we're so thankful for you. And come back next week. We're going to talk about more about using the unique ways that God has given us, the unique roles that God has given us to advance his mission. Now, if you're here and you're not a member, I'd invite you to ask, why not? Why aren't you a member? If you're not a Christian, you don't need our church. Our church can't save you. If you're not a Christian, then I'd invite you to accept Christ. Recognize your need for Christ and put your trust in him. Others of you I know want to become members and you just haven't had a chance to take the class yet. And so we knew we were going to address this topic a while back and so we lined up our next membership class. A number of you have been asking about that this summer. 
So our next one is going to start in two Sundays. So our membership classes, they last four weeks. Starts on September 17th. It'll run through, I believe, October 8th from 12.30 to 2 p.m. here. And so any of you here who desire to be members, you think maybe God would want you to be a member, you want to explore it more, then we'd invite you. That would be a great next step. And if others of you are here and you've had bad experiences with church in the past, I've talked to many people who've had bad church membership experiences, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to understand that, that better. And so feel free, if you disagree or have questions, we'd love to dialogue with you about this. But for those of you who say, this, this sounds like something I, I need to do, God would want me to do, or I want to explore more, then the next step would be to check out that membership class in a couple of weeks. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. We thank you that you haven't just saved us to an incredible relationship with you and all the benefits of that, but we thank you, God, that you've also made us for relationships with one another. Thank you for just the incalculable ways my life has been blessed by the people here. My life has been blessed by being involved in in your church. God, we ask that you would help us as a, as a church to, to more and more live out and just demonstrate the, the type of unity and the type of clarity and the type of love for one another that characterized the early church. A love that was so powerful that, that says you are adding to the number daily those who are being saved. God, we ask that our, our church would be a brighter and brighter light in our, in our community. I pray that each one here who is a member, God, would be growing in their intimacy with you, growing in their enjoyment of, of what you've won for them in Christ. And any here who don't know you, God, we pray that you would draw them, draw them to yourself, help them see your need for a Savior. God, ultimately, we don't care if people get plugged in here, but we pray that, that each believer here would find, find the place that you want for them to, to, to labor and and to, and to really be involved in, in loving, loving one another as a member of your body. So we thank you for this time, and we pray you would use it to address where each person here is at. And we pray this in your great name. Amen.